0: .net rocks episode 1296 with guest Matt Watson recorded Thursday, April 28th, 2016
1: I went to Disney World and all I got was this lousy podcast
0: <laughs> well, there's a little time shift problem there, dude. This show's yeah. coming out a month after we went to Disney and had a really good time. Yeah, you know, that's the problem with these things. We don't
1: record them in series that they're released, so, you know, you tend to get skip-arounds and stuff. But, uh, you know, we this is the first show we've recorded since coming back from Dev Intersection, right? which was a fantastic show. And, you know, Richard is uh, – I don't know if the listeners know this, but Richard's a partner in the show. And so he yeah. actually – You actually pick the 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 people that speak and uh, do all of the content.
0: I do. I I do an overview of the content planning. I do pick some of the speakers. I have other track chairs like John Papa and Dan Willeen and stuff. But you know the uh, the bigger thing is I sign the paperwork that says if it goes terribly wrong, it's my house. I lose, not somebody
2: else's. That's right. You've been so you
0: know it's you know I care. It's really interesting the stuff you need to care about when you own the show versus when you just work on the show, right? Yeah,
1: well, it's great, and everybody said it was a fantastic show,
0: and I, I... I I was very happy with how it came out. Yeah, You know, I've been working in conferences in one form or another for 25 years, and it's only been in the last four that I've owned it, because, you know, there, you hit a moment in your life where you're like, I'm a hypocrite if I don't do this, because mm-hmm. I've been complaining about how everybody else does it wrong for mm-hmm. forever, mm-hmm. so now I'm trying to do it right. And you are. So far, so good. So let's roll the music, because i got something fun for
1: Better Know Framework today. Go ahead. Awesome all right dude what do you got so i've been hanging out up in boston lately at yeah. this uh Techstars startup it's a, a a group of companies that are all together in one space and they've had to beat out thousands of other technical startups just to get in that space nice and they get free office space and support and all that kind of stuff and uh one of the people there, I was talking to them about what they did, and uh, it's a really cool company. Check it out. It's tapglue.com, T-A-P-G-L-U-E. Cool. And this is basically a social network for your app, but your social network, not Facebook, not Twitter.
0: not. I mean, it can link to those things, but it's your social network. So maintain a, for a list of friends, sort of your contacts, be able to chat with them, be able right. to, you know, I mean, all that th- sort of thing. Think
1: about all the stuff that we do at DotNet Rocks, right? We have the fan yep. club. We have the Facebook page. We've got, yep. you know, emails that we write. we got comments on the website. You mm-hmm. sort of just get all that stuff together in one place and allow people to interact with each other and, and like stuff and do your own sort of mini Facebook-like thing in your own app.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's kind of cool. Just to consolidate all those bits into one place. Right. And so I thought it was great. Um, I asked them, you know, if they were looking for any help with programming, but they, their stuff is all like Go and, uh, they're, they're really bright people. So yeah, I was really impressed. I was impressed with the technology, um, impressed with the people. And, uh, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And of course, like most web based businesses these days, you know, you try it and it's free. And then after you start using it a lot, you have the, you know, it's like the Azure model. After you start using it, and making money, then you can afford to pay us a little
0: bit. Right. Yeah. and Here it is, free for the first thousand users. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So then it's kind of cool when you go over that. That's it's really interesting. It's a good model. I think it's a the model we're going to see
1: in the cloud going forward. And I thought it was a just a, a great idea. So that's nice what one, I got. Dude.
0: Tapglue.com. Who's talking to us today, Richard? grabbed a comment off of show 1202 the one we did with charles sterling we were talking about web performance testing tools Mm -hmm. and that was where it was really sort of announced that the web test tools which used to be only in the ultimate edition of studio were now coming into the other products it was you know available anywhere and you could you could do more of that testing you didn't have to buy the super premium product to get to it Mm -hmm. and uh edward bray this is a few months ago now of course I was talking about, as a guy who's done a lot of web testing, mm. how I have always had a tough time simulating users because humans are so much weirder than robots. Right. You know, that, that as your site slows down, what the user response to that is to open even more windows and refresh them more often. <laughs> press the button frantically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, go ahead. Make the situation work. Punch me while I'm down. Yeah. Thanks for that. An app isn't an elevator. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Edward Bray said, uh, as quote, one of those guys who is like to open multiple browser windows when the server runs slow, <laughs> especially in the heyday of the worldwide wait. Let me reassure you, Richard, that your user was not really out to get you or to wreak havoc on the server. Those windows are our browser thread pool. Uh. When work on one window is blocked waiting for a slow server, we flip over to another one. Yes, that means more concurrent requests to your server, but single threaded web browsing sucks. So naturally, we turn to async await in human form. Right. Sure. I mean, you know what? Open other windows to other people's sites. Don't make my problem worse. <laughs> I give you permission. And look, I, I cannot tell you at any given moment, especially when I'm doing something like working on a geek out, how many browser windows I have open.
1: Well, and the real you know, thing that you're talking about here is not you're not trying to change people because
0: let's face it, users never yeah. change, but you have to plan for that kind of behavior. Right. That's all. And, it's a, and, a, and my real point was there is no testing tool that simulates that behavior well. Hmm. Right, like, you know, what the problem I would get into is I would run a set of tests that I thought were fairly well crafted, and come back with data and said, "Hey, when this many thousand users are on the site, it behaves like this," and then that many thousand real users would sign up and kick its ass, mm. Mm. right? And it's like, well, why was your test wrong? It's because my test clients aren't humans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's just interesting to get back into that thinking space, as I'm sure this is going to be the conversation over the next hour. Uh, and so, Edward. Thank you so much for your comment, even if you are kicking my server's butt. <laughs> I'll send you a mug anyway. <laughs> and if you'd like a mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook or Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And
1: definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. We polish our furniture with him. And uh, now it's time to introduce Matt Watson. He's the founder and CEO of Stackify, who if you've been paying attention to .net rocks lately, they've been a uh, sponsor and a good sponsor at that. Uh he's been a Microsoft developer for about 15 years and is passionate about making developers lives easier and he's here to talk with us about web performance. Which I'm sure, uh, Richard knows nothing about and has no comment on anything about web performance at all. So. I couldn't care (laughs) (laughs) less. You're talking to the
2: right guy, Matt. Welcome to .NET Rocks. Hey guys, how are you doing? Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. We, uh, you guys have gone through an amazing transformation, um, lately. I mean, you're, you're putting out more free tools. You're, uh, the stuff just keeps getting better and better. Tell us what's going on over there at Stack
2: well, we're hard at work at trying to solve, uh, some complicated problems for developers. You know, everything we do revolves around application performance and diagnostics. So just, you know, giving developers the tools they need to know what in the world is going on and, mm. you know, finding problems. So, you know, we, well, I always say, uh, you know, we always have a lot of production problems and, and fires in and, and production and everybody's busy running around trying to put out fires and i always like to say we need to help him find the guy with the matches that's right
0: (laughs) (laughs) like edward edward's that guy with a match
2: (laughs) i mean ultimately that that's the problem um i don't don't know if i can i I can't necessarily uh take out the guy with the matches but maybe (laughs) we can help point in the right direction you know
1: you can at least chase him away for a little while
2: Yeah. yeah
0: yeah so uh i mean we are we do we are talking about a good problem you know, whenever I got called to do web performance tuning, it was not because their site was didn't have traffic. You know, it's so like you start with a congratulations. You're busy enough that people care that your site is slow. What would be far worse is your site is slow and nobody cares.
2: Yeah. Well, I I think I would add though. There's there's kind of one misnomer there. Your um, an application can fail very fast, so it doesn't have to always be slow and and have problems. Right. Right. Um. You, you can go to a website and immediately it says an error, and it, it loaded instantly. So um, mm. it, it's not the always about the,
0: errors. Take no time at all.
2: Yeah, it's not <laughs> always about a you know a page load error. It, it also co- uh, or time. It can also just be about it not working correctly, which can right. happen quickly.
0: Right.
1: And what do you think of you know using circuit breakers and things like that to? cut stuff off I mean caching is great but if you're caching all of the you know 9,000 windows that Richard's user has open eventually they have to go through the pipeline is there any way like at the browser level just cut those off
2: uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, that's, um, you know, using CDNs and stuff like that help a lot.
1: Um, but they, they help by absorbing the demand, right? Is there? Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there's, a, there's a tool that, uh, that we're familiar with here, Poly, which I know it's not the same because you don't have that control at the browser. But if you're calling a service and the service is down, you know, you can set up a policy that says, Hey, if, if, you know, in five seconds, uh, over 50% of these are failing, well, let's just not allow the next calls to go through. Let's fail, you know, and uh wait, tell the user to wait. It's like a like Gmail or any cloud app, right? That you're using when when the internet goes down, it says uh re- will retry in 3 minutes or retry now and it counts down, right?
2: Right. Yeah, I think there's some other application, uh proxy firewall gateways, whatever you want to call them, like Cloudflare and other things like that that probably have some similar features. Yeah. But those are definitely nice to have. So if your site is down, at least something loads. Right. Yeah. You know, and if it could prevent them from opening another browser tab and hitting refresh, that'd be good too, right? Yeah.
1: Just anything that can put up a static page or something that says, be right back. Don't stop hitting
0: refresh. I mean, isn't this what progress bars actually are? Watch. Watch the little bar. Watch the little bar. We're busy right now. Don't ah. hurt anything. Watch the little bar. <laughs> Squirrel. Squirrel. I've, I have learned with progress bars, don't let it go back down. That makes people really angry. You know, the, uh, progress bars, this is an opportunity for
1: advertising people. You know, because why would you rather or would you like to see a nice cat video or, or spinning Ooh. wheel? One or the other.
0: There you go. <laughs> We've got that colorful little wheel on the net rocks page, which you you know jeremys when I, when I see that, it means something bad is happening because right. most of the time the page loads immediately, but if you see the little spinny wheel like oh that's the spinning that's the spinny wheel of sad yeah, it should be a cat face going around in that's 360 it. if it was a ways. kitty, nobody would mind that's right. So, I might be onto something here. Yeah, I think you got to talk to Joel. I think a kitty, a llama, everybody loves llamas, and a duck. That's all you got to put in there. You know, or we could make the page faster, but that's just crazy that's talk. That's crazy talk. What's the matter with you, Richard? Don't say things like that.
1: All right. So, let's let's talk about what you've been, you know, specifically what you guys have been doing to make things go faster and, and uh, all of that stuff.
2: Yeah. So over the last couple of years, we've really been focused on doing code profiling for .NET, um, which is amazingly complicated, by the way, under the Mm -hmm. covers Um, for, you know, .NET provides an API for that, but it's all written in C++ With a little bit of assembler, and uh, it's kind of insanely complicated. Um, But we've done a good job of getting all that figured out and and making it work. And it's our our whole goal is to be able to provide production performance, you know, insight um, at a low cost that people can afford. um, That's just simple and easy to use. Uh, A lot of our competitors' products are, say, $200 a month per server, which and you can go buy a server from Azure or AWS for less than $200 a month. So to then pay right. $200 a month for application performance monitoring seems kind of crazy to me. Yeah. But, um, you know, we just want to have a low-cost product that people can use that's very developer-friendly as well. And that's probably our one of our biggest differentiators. Um, and that's one of the reasons we created Prefix, which is our, our new tool that, that we launched a couple months ago. And i got to um, say,
1: by the way, the guys at AppVNext love Prefix. And it's it's a free tool. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah. So what we did is we we took that same .dot NET profiling um, core of our, our system that we built and basically taken it. You know, so the, and normally it runs on a server. Basically, we just took that the same brain behind it and repackaged it so it'll run on a developer's workstation, right? And mm. it's designed to run in the background, so as a developer's writing code and testing code. At any time, they can see what's happening. So, what you know, what web requests just happen, and what database calls, what logging, queuing, caching calls, exceptions, all that stuff. I mean, the the best way to describe it is at, at worst, it's the world's best log viewer. You know, because it, it just shows you it shows you everything that's going on, and um, it's insanely uh, useful. Or at least I think it's insanely useful.
1: And. Uh, why free? I mean, I know that competing is important, but uh, and and I guess that you, you might want to just explain the different models that you have. But. Yeah.
2: Well, so Prefix is, is designed for developers to use, and one of the reasons we originally built it was for a lead generator for our other paid offerings, right? You know, we'd we'd love people to download it and say, "Hey, man, this is pretty cool. I wish I could see the same information on my server." And right. We're like, "Hey, we have a we have a solution for that." Right. Um, and we, we've had we've had plenty of people do that, um, but we've we've got lots of people that are using the free version. We've got um, s- thousands of people now that are that are using it from uh over 75 different countries all around the world. Um we are planning to make a paid version of prefix. We are working on that now. It's gonna have some more advanced features. Um we still plan to have the free version, but the paid version is going to add some other um kind of enterprisey uh team features and and some more advanced um for example the ability to work with uh, non-web apps and um, s- some other things that, that we're playing with that we think are going to be really cool. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have the, the free version, but then we'll have a real cheap paid version as well.
1: Yeah. Where do we, geez, where do we start? I mean, there's a lot of great features in here and I, you know, just to say that it's, it shows you everything is kind of, uh, you know, to put it mildly, but where can we, let's dig into a little bit.
2: Well, so I, I mean, I think the first thing to understand is how it's different from other tools, right? So there's, right. there's lots of other profilers. There's one built into Visual Studio. Uh, there's, you know, popular tools like Ants and uh, just trace and, or dot trace and, mm-hmm. um, and others from other, other providers. Uh, but those are really designed to do tracing or profiling down at the each level of uh, line of code, right? Mm-hmm. They're kind of line of code profilers where prefix is very lightweight. It only it only tracks uh, certain methods in the .net framework. So for example, with a very standard .net asp.net web request that that literally does nothing, we only track say about 50 methods that get called. And there's actually like thousands and thousands. And for so just, you don't
1: have to wire them up specifically. They they just happen.
2: It, yeah, it just works and the reason that prefix doesn't slow down your app is we're only tracking those 50 methods. Uh, just like how we're able to do it on production servers that get hundreds of requests per second. Mm-hmm. We don't slow them down either because it's designed to be very lightweight. Where if you took, you know, these other profiling tools, which are all fantastic, but there's, you know, they're tracking every line of code as it gets called and every method, mm. you know, that brings a production server down to a screeching halt and, and is, you know, very intensive even on a developer's workstation. You know, tools like uh, Ants and Visual Studios Profiler and, and all those are wonderful tools, but usually when you're using those, it's a bad day. <laughs> like, right. the, the, you're you're hunting some kind of big problem, right? I mean, they're not something you use on a, a day-to-day basis.
0: And they're you're lab hunting. tools. You don't run Nance on a production server, well, not more than once.
2: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe if you're really desperate, right? <laughs> or you're um, looking
0: for a new job.
2: <laughs> where, where prefix is lightweight and and it's lightweight because we only track certain certain things um and and we automatically one of the other cool things that we do is we've instrumented um all the common.net frameworks but also common third-party libraries so we automatically can uh instrument mongo and Elasticsearch and raven db and uh Redis and Memcache and all the Azure libraries, AWS. So this libraries. is how
0: you pick your fifty, Matt. Like uh, the, the, the question was, well, all right, you pick fifty, but what fifty? You've actually gone through all these libraries and said these are the ones that are important, and exactly,
1: and maybe yeah, there's so,
2: the
0: ones that are the problem areas, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, really, what we're after is the key dependencies and what takes time. SQL most, exception. Yeah, <laughs> m- most most app most uh, applications these days, the developer's code itself. Literally takes no time. It's right. that it's, you know, hey, go download something from a web service mm. over here. And then when that gets done, I'm going to do like three little things. And then I'm going to go call a database query. And then my code's going to do three little things. But what your code actually does takes like a millisecond or a couple of milliseconds. Like it's, mm. it's not a lot of time. It's all those dependency calls, you know, to other things that take all the time. So we have automatically set up instrumentation for all the common ones. Um and that's what's awesome about prefix is you just install it and it just works. It just automatically tracks all that stuff. Hmm. Um including hidden exceptions, uh which which you mentioned and it also works with logging providers like log4net and inlog and seralog and things like that. Um just to kind of give you this, you know, great view of what in the world is my code doing. Now you know we don't replace things like ants and and those that are like, "Oh, this you know exact method of my own code and this line of code in there is is the slowest, but we're just like an awesome debugging tool at a high level. Um, we always mm. kind of say it's kind of like your sidekick that you run on your second monitor, so when you're testing your app, you you know keep an eye on it and uh and look for things
1: mm-hmm. so and so you do profiling, you also do logging and uh, SQL debugging as well.
2: Well, so on our normal, um, APM product, uh, as part of that, we have a log management solution. So we can collect logs and errors, um, from all the programming language, not, not just.net. Mm. Um, so then when you log into our, your main Stackify account, you can search for your law, lo- search logs, um, similar to Splunk and, and other types of, of tools, except we're not like a hundred thousand dollar minimum like Splunk is. Mm. Um, so it's, And we have, it's also very uh, catered to developers Mm -hmm. because it includes errors and logs. As far as I know, we're the only tool that combines um, error tracking and log management in the same product, um, which makes total sense to me, but I guess it doesn't to everybody else.
0: Yeah, you really want one view to all of this. And I'm actually looking at the prefix demo running right now. And the biggest problem here is you guys just don't generate enough errors in your code. Yeah,
2: that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll work on that. Um, <laughs> is, that,
1: is that demo running off of live data?
2: Well, yeah, so what it is, if you go to demo.prefix.io, and there's a link to that on the Prefix.io website too, um, that's just an Azure VM that we set up and we installed Prefix on it. And we made a way for pre- Prefix actually under the covers is a Windows service and it's a .NET web API. It's a self-hosted app. And so we just exposed that to the internet so anybody can... Pull up that UI and play with it, mm. and then we have a, a web app on that machine. A couple of web apps um, that we just generate some traffic to. So it's a real time view to real traffic on that machine.
0: No kidding. So so I should start opening windows there. I should be able to see myself. <laughs> yes,
2: probably <laughs> well, right. Yeah. Uh, well, no. You, okay. So it doesn't show the traffic to prefix. Um, that would be uh, that a would whole be other set of problems. Recursion be there. Very meta. Yeah, that would, that, yeah, very that meta. That would be fun. But yeah, it's a great little demo to kind of show off what prefix does. It's well, just very this cool.
0: breakdown. I mean, it's not, it's nice that I can see the code that's being run, but it's also the fact that it, there's the actual get request. Like all right. the, if I was walking through code, trying to figure things out, this is stuff I would try and pull out. Yep. Right. Uh, let me show the get. What, what was the, you know, what, what were the, uh, the, the, the additional modifiers that were there? What was the cookie, that kind of thing? Yeah. And then to actually look at, you know, the real queries it ran and, and the error message that occurred. Like, just you've consolidated a lot of information into one view. It looks like get yeah. stackified devices is the culprit. <laughs>
2: <That's>, <laughs> yep.
1: That seems to be something that you set up to fail, right? So that you could see it every once in a while.
2: Uh, actually, that's just an exception that I throw that literally is just like in a try-catch. And I just ah, throw okay. it. All right. Yeah. No, but but so to your point about web request, um, For your, for your own app, uh, we, we do show like all the headers and we show the post data that came in and we collect the response. You can see the response. So if it's returning some JSON, like a web API call or something, you could see that. Um, and then the next, uh, release we're getting ready to do when it shows that it makes an outbound web service call to some other thing, which is could be anywhere, right? It could be Twilio or Azure or whatever it is. We're actually showing part of the response that came back from that too. Nice. Which is pretty cool. Um, just trying to give, you know, basic insights to what's going on. And so you have to spend less time, you know, debugging code and, you know, stepping through, you know, breakpoints line by line.
0: Well, and your JSON's so tidy, there's only three records here. Like, uh, I wish.
2: Yeah. I, I do. We do have that example on there for the product list, which is the one right. that shows 38 queries, which is the um, kind of your classic entity framework or in Hibernate problem where you get a whole ton of queries because some field's yeah. using a view.
0: Yeah, mm. and, and and just reminding you that you ran this query over and over and over and over. It's like, gee, exactly. I wonder why this took you too, so long.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we, we also do a lot of tracking on some other things. Like um, Most people don't think about if you're posting a bunch of JSON to a web service, how long it takes that web service to actually read that JSON mm, and deserialize right. it. And then hydrate that into some, you know, C-sharp classes that then you actually work with. There's several steps there. And we spent the time to, to track that stuff down and we can show that. Um, we only show it when it's, you know, kind of a meaningful amount of time. But uh, there's a lot of things like that that we've built into it. One, one of my um, favorite things that we did, and we wrote a whole blog post about this, is accurately tracking how long it takes to run a database query. Um, virtually every report you've ever seen around database query performance is wrong. Um, (laughs) They're all wrong. So like if you go to SQL server and look at the DMV views that show you performance, um, which are great, they're very helpful, but they're wrong. Um, They don't account for how long it takes your code to actually download that data.
0: Yes. The transfer times.
2: Yeah. So I can do like select, you know, top 1 million records from a table uh, with no filter or anything and SQL served like, oh yeah that took no time. that took like five milliseconds, but it might take you know a minute to actually download that data. So all those all those reports that you see are awesome you know from the server's viewpoint of like how long it took the server to do it, but not how long it how, how much time that took to impact in your code and your users ultimately. Um, and prefix tracks that. Prefix can tell you um, the total amount of time that it took, which mm. is pretty cool.
0: Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the, for me. Having done a fair bit of instrumentation, I always look at the wire because that's the that is generally the narrowest constraint: the wire between from the database to the web server, the wire from the web server to the browser, and right, that's often yeah. hard stuff to figure out. Just because you know most test labs don't test that well, especially when we talk about front side.
2: Yeah. So the the analogy of you know a web server might take a few milliseconds to complete a response, but then how long does it take that data to get from there all the way to the web browser and render is very similar to the same issue I just described with SQL server where it may take SQL server, no time, but for it to pipe that data to your app does take time.
0: Right. Yeah. How do you reveal that information? They, Oh, you know, yeah, the query only ran, ran, ran in 400 milliseconds, but it took us 10 seconds to haul it to the server.
2: Yeah. So in um, prefix, actually, if you look in the demo site right now, there's the request called get top people. And right. you'll see it'll say SQL command dot execute reader async. And that was select customer. And it took, hmm. uh, for my example here, 31 milliseconds. Yeah. If I expand that, it says download query result took 31 millisecond. So that tells me it took all thirty one milliseconds was that transfer time. If I went and looked at SQL Server's viewpoint of this, it would probably say like zero or one millisecond. Yeah, it was
0: instant, right? Yes. Now, yep. I've been I I've been the DBA. I've run SQL profiler and I've shown them there's my query running in a hundred milliseconds. The fact that your web page can't render that for thirty seconds, not my problem. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Isn't it's that what it's really back. all about though? Not my problem. This is your, oh, this is a this is a blame accounting this is a tool show blame, we're looking
2: at
1: right here. A show blame utility.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cuz no, what nobody ever thinks about is how much data is that, right? Yeah. And um, within the SQL connection objects in .net, there's a way to um, it has some statistics stuff that you can turn on and it will show you you know, how many records came back. And it'll also show you how many bytes that was. Mm, right. um, so it's it's kind of interesting to look at that. And it's like, wow, that simple query was five megabytes of data. No no, no wonder that took, you know, a few milliseconds or a few hundred milliseconds.
0: Well, yeah. and, and there were 15 others like it running at the same time.
2: Exactly. Yep.
0: You know, yep. that's the, the piece that gets missed a lot of times is this. We only see performance problems at scale. And because you start getting collisions, we've forgotten that networks can get saturated. You know, but it's not that we had a million requests hitting the web server. We only had 50, but each one of them asked for two megs of data. And when they right. all tried to haul as fast as you can, you can bury a gigabit nick. Mm. And yeah, Ethernet, and people forget this, Ethernet fails badly. Ethernet has mm. collision detection and avoidance, which really means if they just send stuff out on the wire and then they see if it collided or not. And if it collided. They send it again. That's not good always. <laughs> well, the, the whole thing here is it's great up till about 85% and then it really goes to hell. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and there's there's definitely performance problems that happen at scale, but there are some performance problems that you can find when you have, you know, no users, like the things yep. we're talking about where, you know, you're, you're doing a SQL query that just returns a lot of data so that is slow or... The, my example earlier where you have a lot of JSON being passed into something and it takes a long time for it to deserialize that. Yes. You know, I mean, those th- those issues happen when you have one user, not necessarily even a million. Oh, sure. And so if you can find you those things JSON. early on, Try
0: it with XML. <laughs> right. Yep. Here's a mega XML. <laughs> Your life sucks. Have at it.
1: Oh, and by the yeah. way, you're an iPhone. Hey, Richard. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Guess what
0: time it is. Uh, it must be that happy time again.
1: Yeah. It's time for me to go home and rethink my life. Hey, have you guys seen a couple of droids?
0: Oh, no. Are you making Star Wars references?
1: (laughs) Oh, me? Never. (laughs) It's actually time to give away a Music to Code By complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Music to Code By is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals that have been scientifically designed to promote focus. They'll get you into a state of flow, and keep you there check out what dot net rock's fans are being more productive with all the time it's music to code by at music to code by dot net all right buddy who's our winner today's winner richard is ryan stelly all right richard, this is ryan Golf clap for you sir Ball clap for you sir and uh, just for being a member of the fan club, Ryan wins the complete collection of music to go by, which at the time of this recording is 12, but it might be 13 by the time he actually gets around to it. Ooh, we'll see. Is so something going on in the studio? Yeah, we're working on a new one. Nice. And I mean the royal we. I'm working on a new one. Uh, <laughs> I was about to ask. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big get free stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the net rocks fan club but you got to sign up to win and matt watson it's now your turn if you had five thousand dollars to spend today on technology what would you buy
2: so i was at the net user group meeting a couple days ago here in kansas city and uh, one of my friends was showing off the new hololens and i have to say Ooh, that looks yeah. like a that looks like a fun toy to spend some money on. I, I have no idea what I would actually do with it, but it sure looks fun from uh, seeing all the demos that he did.
1: I just want to play some games with it, you know, or do some live uh, communication with it, some uh, video chat, in-person, that
0: kind of stuff. What do they call it? Uh, holoportation?
2: Holoportation or
0: presence? yeah. Yeah. I want a little holoportation, yeah. please. Definitely.
2: He was showing off some kind of game where he was shooting holes in the wall and then like... <laughs> Creatures were coming out of the wall at him, yeah. and it, it it was pretty cool. And they, he had the whole dev kit set up, so we could see like what he could see. Oh, nice, good. and, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. And he was showing all the how it does all the wireframing of the room, and just all the different stuff. Uh, he was one of the lucky guys that got one of the first uh, demo demo ones. So yeah, fantastic stuff.
0: It's interesting to have them starting to be out in the world now and see what happens next, because I'm sure it's not going to go the way anybody planned. Mm.
2: Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see the, the future of augmented reality. So, yeah,
0: somebody was asked me to predict the future, and I, and you know, this was the f- we happened to be recording on the first quarter that the number of smartphones in the world actually declined. Oh, weird. So, you know, Apple's had a bad time. It's, yeah, they, they grow, growth's finally tapering off. Like, we, people have kind of like got their phones. They're not buying them as frantically as they used to. Mm. And it made me start thinking about when does the primary digital interface for humans switch from the smartphone to the visor or To something. give a general name to the HoloLens or
2: something else. Right. Yeah.
0: I just think the visor is the logical one.
2: So, when you said sale, uh, uh phone usage, was that just sales or like number of sales. subscribers sales? Who's well sales? they become such a commodity now. I mean they have. It, it makes no sense to spend nine hundred dollars for a new iPhone when I can buy an Android yep. phone for like a hundred and fifty dollars. It does the same thing, but
0: that was one of the biggest indictments in the in the quarter report from Apple is that their hmm. average value sale went down, which means people are not buying the top as many of the top line phones. They're buying a couple of phones down. Right. Right, yeah. I wonder if we've hit fast enough.
2: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely since like the iphone 4s uh, you know i don't think there's that big of a difference in a uh, performance
0: so yeah mm-hmm. i think we think we might be might be hitting maximum phone
2: how, how fast of a phone do you really need to play candy crush <laughs>
0: yeah all i know is i need 8 cores <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if it was ever about speed
1: it was always more just about you know them working right and doing right. things and having the apps and just working well I mean, some well, apps were about speed, obviously, you know, you had a bad app, you wanted to get a better version, but I don't think the technology was hold- had been holding us back for the last few years, anyway.
2: Well, what I always say is, I think every single iPhone and Android user both would gladly uh, let them take back all the enhancements they've done for the last two years if they just make the battery last longer. Yeah,
0: <laughs> probably right. Well, and just, you know, it doesn't matter which phone I use... Uh, they all suck, you know. <laughs> they they all crash. They all have connectivity problems. They all it's like no phone. They nobody seems to have nailed the core functionality. I want to be able to make a call when I want to make a call, send a message when I want to send a message. Stop interrupting me when I'm doing something. To tell me about something you care about yeah, rather right. than me caring about. Right? Like, we, I, none of them. They're all like that. Ah, <sighs> okay. Not that I'm angry or anything. Well. Let's get
1: back to, <laughs> let's get back to prefix. It's such a great tool. Uh, I've been just sitting here while you guys were talking, just clicking buttons and turning knobs and switches and looking at it. And, and, and I was just thinking to myself, man, if I set this loose on my website, how, how hard would it be for me to get this kind of insight into my app? I mean, what exactly do you have to do to get it working?
2: Yeah. So. Prefix is really designed more for development usage and not for, say, installing on your web server. Um, our other, our other solutions are are really designed for that. Um, however, you can install Prefix on a server. We've seen people do it. Um, and it will work. Um, but it only shows you data from like the last five minutes. So it doesn't give you some, You know, aggregate reporting over an entire day or week or any of that. That's what our other products do. Gotcha. But, but we've seen people use prefix while doing load testing and other things. Um, and it, and it will work. We, we've got a little bit of performance tuning to do on the UI. You know, if you, if you throw like a hundred requests a second at your, at your box, the UI will freak out a little bit about that. It's not really tuned for that. I'm
1: thinking it really works well on the testing layer, right? I mean,
2: Absolutely. Yeah, push yeah. from
1: dev to test and in the test where you've only – we've got a controlled environment and you've got, you know, however many uh, bots or people or whatever hitting it and trying it out. That's really where you're going to find all these problems.
2: Right, and I mean, so some of those things, you, you know, Prefix works perfectly for other things, maybe uh, an APM works works well for, but, you know, Prefix in general is kind of a Swiss Army knife. We've, we've seen people use it for a whole lot of different reasons. Um, the primary use case we see, though, is is to help people with debugging. Yeah. So they're, they're writing code, they're working, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to call this web service, and I can look at Prefix, and I can see if it worked and what data returned. I can add one line of log, you know, to my log statement, and I can mm-hmm. quickly see that in Prefix, and Right. I know it's working. and um, But then we see a lot of people using it just for like a performance review. It, it's uh, awesome to go through an app that you don't even know about or it's one of your, you know, if you're like a team leader and, and you want to review what people have done of just clicking through an app and looking for SQL queries and hidden exceptions and just weird problems. And um, th- those are the two main use cases we see and it, it works great for both of those. So if
1: I had a, a uh, an app that I'm developing, and I push it up from my local machine into like an Azure website that I'm going to use to test it. How how complicated is it to get uh, Prefix working in that?
2: So pre- Prefix is, you know, designed to work on your workstation. So it won't run on a Azure web app. Now, Stackify APM will our our normal APM product will and we do have a free version of that via the Azure portal. Okay. If you go into the Azure marketplace, you can sign up for Stackify through there and we have a, a free version of our APM product through there. Um but it's really easy to install in an Azure app service. You just install the site extension.
1: So really we're talking about you you've got Visual Studio sitting on your desk and you're building a web app locally and right. you get to you get to see but uh doesn't Visual Studio give you all of this? Uh, I mean, it doesn't give you a profiler from outside, but I mean, I guess it does give you a little bit of a profiler, but do you, I mean, why would I use this instead of what comes with Visual Studio?
2: Well, the big difference is, is we look at everything kind of as a, as a web transaction and we're picking out all the important details. Um, I think that's the biggest difference is it's the user experience and the summarization of the data, just putting it. it at your fingertips. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can debug through an app and you can go find all these things, but it's nice um, to
1: have it in one picture.
2: Yeah. It gives it to you in one picture. And, and it, a lot of times it, it helps you kind of know what you don't know.
1: And you know, who is it? Scott Nimrod that was talking about professional debuggers, where yeah. they sort of put a breakpoint and step through and watch the code run. And that's how they test their code. You know, just to, to sort of watch it run one line at a time. Well, just watch it from outside
2: see what happens. Well, yeah, Prefix will definitely help you see some of the, the higher level things.
0: Yeah, my, I mean, my experience with profilers is you turn them on in the lab with a load test and you're buried in calls. Like there's just so many calls running. You can't just browse through them. Like I was looking at Prefix and thinking, wow, this is going really... Casually, the rate of uh, of of messages being called, but I think the big thing here is you've done all the filtering for me. You know, the, exactly the thing I do on Nance. The thing you have to learn, like the the secret sauce to Nance, as a guy who's done it a bunch of times, is you now have to sort the list by most frequently called yeah, against right. longest. Right? Yeah. I want to right. bubble to the top stuff that's called a lot and takes a long time because it takes a long time, but it's only called once. There's no point in optimizing it if it's called a ton of times and it's super fast, well, that's as good as that's going to get. So it's the two, co- it's the combination of this gets called a lot and it takes a long time. That's where I should optimize. Right. And I, so when I fire a prefix, I'm like, where's my sort tool to pull out the things I should be looking at. And I don't really see one. I don't think I need one. Right. Cause you're already pre filtering everything. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's more per request. Um, You know, as, as we've discussed, we automatically profile and instrument all the common libraries. Um, we do have the ability, though, for people, if they want to custom, if they want to profile their own code or even specific other third party libraries, we have a way to do that too. So they can tell us exact like namespaces and classes and methods. And then those will show up in the traces in prefix as well.
0: So the my custom libraries would have this treatment.
2: Yes, if you if you configure it, and what we've built is a cool little UI that lets you kind of browse your assemblies and browse the the classes and namespaces, and just click 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 the things you want to track, and then it'll just start doing it. Nice. So it's pretty cool.
0: Very. Cool. Yeah, because this again, it, you, always the danger with a tool like this is the demo looks great, and then you. Have point it towards your pile of crap and all hell breaks <laughs> loose
1: so get, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not get me, that
0: i'm bitter or anything so get
1: me back to this question what does it take to point it to your pile of crap and let it loose
2: so yeah it, you can go to prefix.io and download it and it's just a simple windows installer it takes like a minute to install and that's it and it just it just starts working um all you have to do is then open up a prefix, which it'll open up on its own when you install, uh, and click Enable Profiler, and it'll turn the profiler on, and you're off and running. That's it.
1: So when your profiler's on and you're building an app in Visual Studio and it comes up in a browser, where does the profiler load? In a browser or in a Windows app?
2: It loads, um, right now, the way we have it set up is you go to uh, localhost twenty port 2012, and it's okay. just a, a web view. Um, We also have a Visual Studio extension. Um, If you install the extension, then um, you can have a little window that shows you in real time the requests as they happen. Wow. And then, and then you can click on one of those and then it'll open up your web browser to give you the full details. Wow.
0: So then you're, you're running the app from studio on your local host and then you open up a browser and start surfing around your site and you can see the the web requests coming in.
2: Yep. And so we work with IS, IS Express. We even work with ASP.NET Core. Um, nice. And we work with all every ASP.NET framework there is, basically, from things that are custom or or things that are non-Microsoft, like Nancy and Service Stack and things like that. And then, you know, all of WCF and Web API and Web Forms, Web Pages. Added framework, yep. framework? Yep. 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 Um, all the way back to .NET 2.0. Wow. Um, 32-bit 64-bit all of it so fantastic there's a lot of permutations
0: and if you're running .NET 1.1 stop
2: that stop that <laughs> you know you guys would not, you guys would not believe how many people we talked to that still use Windows 2003 um, which boggles my mind and, and even using 2008 did at we this even point.
1: have a Windows 2003
0: I don't even remember that Sir, well Windows <laughs> no. server
2: Windows Server, 2000. Server
0: 2003 R2 was the fastest TCP IP stack Microsoft ever made. Huh. When they re-engineered it for Vista, it slowed down a lot, and they've been gradually improving it over time. Hmm. Uh, I still don't think it's fast in 2003 R2. Not that I'm running any anymore, because yeah. it's just yeah. too flipping old, but there's a reason I, ha- I hung on to those 2003 R2 web servers as long as I did. They were really stinking fast. Hmm. hmm. Wow. Yep. Well,
1: like I said, my guys love this stuff. They're using it on projects and can't say enough good things about it.
2: That's awesome. We we have, uh, as I mentioned, we have support for all the .NET stuff, and we're actually getting ready to launch Prefix for Java even. So, um, what's really going to be interesting is when .NET Core comes out, we're gonna we're gonna work on recompiling Prefix all into Core so we can run it on a Mac to then do profiling of Java with .NET. Love it. (laughs) So that should be
0: fun. You're breaking these web requests down into different categories. Read request, database, send response, web external, service bus, compilation, .NET code, Redis. So you're sort of analyzing what libraries are there. Like when you say service bus, what do you mean?
2: Uh, That's Azure service bus.
0: Okay. Is it the only one you would recognize?
2: No, we also support uh, Rabbit and in-service bus, MSMQ, Right. Uh, some other things. Do you yeah. guys so have we, an
1: API to make it extensible for? Oh, yeah. You said we could do it for our own. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There, there is a way to do that. So, you know, if you think about this from the APM perspective, where um, this type of reporting is is really useful. So, if you got an app that gets like millions of requests a day, it's nice to be able to see. Oh, well, look, Redis uh, was really slow during this time period, and that's what was causing all of our problem. Yeah. So, being able to break it down by those kind of dependencies uh, across a whole lot of requests um, is really useful, more so in that viewpoint probably than the prefix viewpoint.
1: And uh, Scott Hansman added his blessing right on the website. This is cool, like Glimpse meets Elma meets App Insights. That's pretty <laughs> yes. cool. And you, there's a picture of a very hip hipster on the on the front cover who's kind of a cyborg. I yes. think that is Scott Hanselman,
0: actually, with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Hanselman be. is cyborg. I'm sure that's a meme somewhere. <laughs> Hanselborg. Nice. <laughs> and and to be honest here, this is clearly a, a look into what it's like to live with your APM product, too, I presume. Yeah.
2: It is. Yeah. The, the view that you get of what did my request just do? And, you know, the ability to view your logging and the queries and all that stuff is exactly the same in, in our APM product. Yeah.
0: So, and, you know, another element to all of this is that my customers have been talking about again, like it's become very hip. Is this what features are people using on my site? Like, what are the things I should be putting my time in? Right. right. So, I mean, it's easy to surface what bugs should we fix based on the errors you generate. But how do you surface v- people are spending a lot of time in this feature?
2: Well, you can do it by kind of basically the URL. You know, so, I mean, mm-hmm. you can look at it that way. Um, you know, you could do that with things like Google Analytics or that yeah. type of that type of viewpoint. Although that viewpoint doesn't work well with today's apps because the URLs um, yeah, you know is- can be very unique, but they all point back to yeah. the same thing, right? right? Because of REST and the way people yeah. do that. Pause. So. Um, from our APM and, and products like that, we're able to show you that reporting based on the like MVC c- controller action. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean that gives you a little bit of viewpoint to know okay how often is this controller action used. Um, but that you know that you know, knowing what features people use is is definitely kind of a, a mystery sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's tough to get to answering questions at a business level about workflow and feature set and things like that.
2: Yeah, do. That was the biggest problem I had at at my last company As our product got so big and had so many features that even the people that worked there that were supposed to support it couldn't figure out what you know what all the levers were and what the levers affected. Like it was just a nightmare. Sometimes right. it's nice to go back through an app and just like delete half of it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have to keep you know, you're only gonna get to sell more versions with new features, but at some point you get into the the edge case features so much, it, it's not necessarily a good thing.
2: Yeah, it becomes unsupportable and just so complicated that it just becomes really difficult.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to it. So it, I, I appreciate that you want to be good at a certain thing, and that certain thing is is helping the different elements of an of a application team know where the problems lie. Like a little <laughs> less finger-pointing, a little more productivity. Should we call it DevOps? Can we say that out loud?
2: <laughs> you know, so... DevOps, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with that term. Um, yep, so to, to me, I always think that it's developers getting involved in operations. And I always think about it from the monitoring and troubleshooting side, right? But most people look at it more from the how I deploy a server or configure a server or script it side. So, yep. um, I think a lot of us were doing DevOps via scripting many years before that term existed. So before
1: the, before we grew enough to have an IT department yeah
0: the no ops life i've been doing one ops my whole life practically (laughs) (laughs) i like that one ops i'm gonna remember that one in the dot-com boom we just called it a functional team right these guys worked well together they were all on the same side of the problem site needed to stay up and run well and people had to like it yeah and yeah and that you know they meant buying a lot of pizza it wasn't magical
2: Yeah, my, my whole drive with prefix is just trying to help developers understand, you know, every millisecond of where time is being spent. And yeah. we're never going to track every millisecond, but no. trying to get all the common things and um, we continue to evolve that. So,
0: To see the price of a lazy loaded entity framework query or to see the overhead on an exception handler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Alright, so I think anybody who's still listening is pretty much sold on
1: a free tool that does all this great stuff. So maybe we should just let you talk a little bit about your non-free tool. You know, so what can we expect? I mean, we talked about a little bit your APM product, but let's, uh, let's just go into maybe a five minutes, uh, on the benefits of that.
2: Yeah, so the normal Stackify product is an, is an APM tool, um, and, and in, it's very similar to prefix in, in the sense it it runs on your servers and uh, works based on a profiler and collects all the requests that are happening and can show you, you know, which URLs get hit the most and which ones are the slowest and which queries get called the most and which ones are the slowest, all that kinds of stuff. Um, one of the things that's unique about us is we also integrate all the error and logging data into it. Um, you know, again, the, the whole passion of, of this from the very beginning was trying to put all these tools together so that you have kind of one place to go and put out production fires, right? Instead of flipping through a whole bunch of monitoring tools and right. diagnostic tools. And so it, it's really cool to see um, profile traces that show, you know, met- all the methods that are called in your code and being able to view your logging inside of those is really insanely powerful. Um, that That's definitely one of my favorite features, but as I mentioned earlier, we we also do error tracking and aggregation. So, we can take all the exceptions that are collected from the profiler um cuz the profiler profiler can catch all exceptions or if you are using Log4net or NLog or one of those, we can Sarah feed Log. those Yeah, exactly. We can feed all those exceptions in and give you great reporting on you know, how many exceptions you have and how often they happen. And, and that's insanely useful when you're doing a, a new deployment, because it almost never fails that there's some kind of new error from something. Yeah. Um, you know, stability, get that kind of a dashboard on what errors I have. And, and then we, you know, the log management side of it is great. Um, being able to search across all of your logs, across all of your apps and hmm. um, all of our error and log stuff. We actually support multiple programming languages, not just .NET, but, um, yeah, it's 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 all very useful, um, and and a lot our, our of Azure whole, integration as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there, we work with Azure App Services and cloud services. Um, there are only three APM products that work for Azure App Services, and we're one of the three. And I would I would definitely say we're we're probably the best when it comes to .NET. Um, one of the things that we do uniquely on .NET with APM and profiling and all this stuff is we actually support async. Um, our, most of our competitors do not hmm. um, We automatically support async um, Some of them may support it a little bit Maybe for this or maybe for that We support it for everything hmm. So um, we spend a lot of time perfecting that And how that works And, and no it's, matter
1: how how many machines Or virtual machines or scale up No matter how far you raise that uh, slider to the right You know, you're still going to get accurate uh, reporting
2: yeah, absolutely. Cause our system doesn't add a lot of overhead to, to the app. And, you know, we just collect all that data and um, we're hosted on Azure ourselves. And so we just, mm-hmm. we crunch all that data and, and provide some great reporting and dashboards and alerting and, and all that stuff to help developers understand, you know, what's, what's slow in my code or what's behaving badly, what's throwing errors, all that stuff. So.
1: You know, there's a, a tangential market that benefits from your tools, and that is the secondary monitor market.
2: <laughs> like, <you> know, yeah. <laughs>
1: this is a great reason to get another monitor if you're running out of space. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's my Stackify monitor on the right
2: there. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Yes some great dashboards and, and prefix is a great, great thing to put on your uh, other screen too. So wh- one of the things that prefix does actually, which is really cool and you can see it in the demo site is when you set up prefix, you can link it to your stack Kill, oh. and we can actually show what the performance is um, in production into whatever it is you're looking at on your local machine. So you get some idea of how often is this thing used in production? How many errors does it throw? How long is it, take to load. Um, and then with one click, you can actually jump right into APM and view all of those details from, you know, QA and production and stuff, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Pull those insights, you know, back down so the developers can, can understand it and see it. So what's next for prefix or for stackify for that matter? Just, you know, continue down the path we're on on, you know, .NET and Java and, and trying to perfect everything we do on, on APM and, um, Excited about .NET Core and everything yeah. that's going to provide. You know that's going to be some new challenges for for us and other right. companies like us to figure out how do we do .NET profiling on Linux. Um, so that that's going to be fun. But um, you know, just excited to build more and more um, cool features in the Prefix and um, help developers you know find problems you know when they're writing their code and save them time. So we think it's a big time saver.
1: Well, it's great stuff. And like I say, tried and tested over here. And uh, thanks for putting so much effort into a free tool. We really, really appreciate
2: it out here. Absolutely. I've, I've spent like the last four months of my life working on it and so with some other people here. So we've, we've definitely put a lot of effort into it. Good job. So Thanks a lot, Matt. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on here. You bet.
1: And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.